welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kork, a rancher from Nebraska. And Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space, so you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. We are back today with episode 83, and the news articles we are covering today, the first one is why New York's mostly vegan mayor wants to cut the city's meat budget. The second one is an interesting one. It is a new report reveals major flaws with flagship carbon credit scheme on indigenous land in Kenya. So we're going international with that one. And then the final one is carbon neutral milk brand attracts celebrity investors, picks up a raft of new retail accounts. And today's episode, as always, is brought to you by Case IH. To the men and women of Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and to even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast. All right. Where should we kick it off with? Do we want to recap our weekends? Do we want to talk about wood milk? Do we want to talk about cottage cheese? I mean, there's a lot of things going on. Clarkson Farms. I finished that. Oh, did you? How was it? Really good. Not, I will have to say, not as emotional for me as it was when season one ended. But it was a good season. I thought they did a really good job with season two. I can see why it was picked up for season three. I actually Googled because I'm like, how long until it comes out again? And I think we have a ways to wait, but I'm sorry for you. I jumped back on the 1923 bandwagon. Those episodes are intense. I feel like I can only watch one and then I need to like recoup for a while and then I can like watch another, like they're kind of violent. So maybe I need to just like cross over to Clarkson farm for a little more like upbeat TV. I'm confused. Did they release new episodes or you're rewatching old episodes? No, I'm just behind. I haven't finished. Oh, slacker. Slacker. Mm-hmm. How was your weekend? It was good. Tad had prom. So that was a total trip too. I mean, the last time you go to prom was your prom and then all of a sudden you're at your kid's prom and it's um, interesting. It's just, I don't know. It's funny. You know, it's a rite of passage. And so it was, it was fun. It was a good weekend. Was his date cute? Did he look handsome? He just went with a group of friends. Oh, gosh. I feel like that's like the thing now is yeah. like you just go with friends. Yeah, there's definitely a lot. Um, I mean, he kind of has a little core friend group that does that for a lot of things. Um, but yeah, it was – I remember when I was back in high school, I felt like it was definitely more of a date thing. And I do feel like dances now or events like that are um, less loosed in the pressure of that. Um, so, yeah, I didn't think Tad was going to take a date. Um. It was Guinevere's birthday this weekend, so in a different turn of events, my yeah, my oldest turned nine, which felt very big for me. Yeah, different places we were in it in the life. <laughs> we so, really were. Yeah, the uh, life moments for our children. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know what I feel like was making a splash. You mentioned it this weekend is the wood milk I phenomena. Know. Have you seen? You saw that campaign. You were very. Um, how do I say this? You always are impressed with dairy's marketing efforts. I just do think milk has, 
you guys have had butterboard, cheese board. You guys have done really good things that I feel like has put dairy in the spotlight in social media, which is not easy to do. I feel like you, yeah, I feel like dairy's always running cool campaigns. Like back when we featured them at the Boston, was it Boston Marathon? No, New York Marathon, yep. New where York they Marathon. sponsored women runners. They're just doing cool shit. Dairy's got it going on. I know. Uh, Daniel and I were talking about this weekend. If you haven't seen the campaign, which I think everyone has seen it, I got sent it. Actually, what was really cool is I got sent it more times from non-ag people than ag people, which I was like, good, good to know this campaign is hitting where it should be. And it is a campaign with Aubrey Plaza, right? Is that her name? Um, and she, it makes, it's like a parody that she invests in this wood milk brand where they're turning, you know, wood into milk. And it's just hysterical when she says got wood, like Daniel, I showed him the video. He was rolling. Like it was just very, it hit, like it was perfect. She was the perfect person for it too. Very dry sense of humor, like Mm -hmm. very funny. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was an interesting approach. I'd love to see what their aim was for it. I guess I would have loved to be in the marketing meetings, I think, and assess their just from start to finish of that campaign. I think it would be so fascinating to hear some of the dialogues, the things they focused in on, what they were trying to hit, like the ROI, like where were the measurements, like all of those things that went into it. I would love to like get the juicy details on it. So I actually, we got an email or a DM from a disco giving us a little inside scoop. Do you want to, you want to hear about it? No, please keep it to yourself. Yes, I want to hear about it. <laughs> um, supposedly. So dairy farmers did not pay for this ad. It was milk pep. So it was paid for by the processors. So the people who are actually like bottling the milk. So I guess on like the beef side, that'd be like the packers. Um, oh, that, it was this, that's a joke. I would love I to see the packers funnel some money into the beef industry. I didn't want to rub salt in the wound, but I did want to say that's who paid for this campaign. And supposedly they paid a million dollars for it. And they were afraid it wouldn't pass USDA because everything has to go through USDA. But USDA like laughed and was like, I mean, you're not saying anything bad about any other company. Like it's a parody. And it kind of took a little stab at the FDA with their, you know, we covered this story a while back that milk non-milk milks can call themselves milk. And so they were kind of ran with it. And um, I don't know. It, it was really, really, I would love, to, I'm excited to see the ROI and how many engagements it gets and everything because it was like at 2 million views within the first like not even 24 hours. Should we dive into the meat of the episode? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, but before we do that, we are going to give our last and final reminder of the Culver's and their upcoming scoops of Thanks Day. So one week from today, next Thursday, May 4th, it is going down. You guys visit your local Culver's and donate $1 to Ag Education and in return, get a scoop of fresh frozen custard. The best part, besides the delicious delicious custard, is that 100% of the dollar stays local and is either donated to your local FFA chapter, and if you don't have one of those, it goes to another local ag organization. So this is truly such a good cause to donate. Please, please mark your calendars for May 4th. We talked about this last week. May the 4th be with you. Go get your custard. Uh, get out and support Culver's in this great initiative. To learn more, visit the link in our show notes. And Natalie's drinking her Culver's cup. I'm still so mad at you about that. <laughs> Just a casual flex. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our first article, as Tara mentioned, we're going to be covering New York's mostly vegan mayor and how he wants to cut the city's meat budget. Mayor Eric Adams on Monday vowed to reduce emissions tied to city food procurements by 33% by 2030, unveiling data showing that in New York City, food consumption rivals transportation as a source of planet warming gases. 
I'm going to be all over the place with this. I've got a lot to cover. Um, I have major issues with Mayor Eric Adams. I've posted about him before. I've done, I think, a debunking video about him. This is not the first time he is making headlines for being anti-meat. And he is not vegan. He is mostly vegan. He consumes seafood. And I think he consumes some dairy, which in my opinion is an oxymoron because if you consume dairy, ultimately dairy cows go to beef. So if you don't consume beef, you're kind of being anti-planet. But I don't even want to go on that tangent yet. Where do you want to start? I'll let you kick us off. Did you watch the full 25-minute video? Heck, no, I'm not going to give him that view. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) Give me a recap. I did. So it is 25 minutes long, and it is him and then kind of a team. And I believe they're in a hospital kitchen, it kind of looks like to me. And he only speaks for maybe about five minutes of it. And then they have this lady, which I kind of missed her role, but very involved. She spoke twice and then they had a couple. I think she was a chef. I think she's like the head chef or something is what I read somewhere. So it started out with annoyance for me a little bit. And then by the time I made it through the 25 minutes, I was just in blood boiling rage. I feel like I'm so tired of, I think some of the narratives they run with that I don't feel like are backed at all with credible sources. I completely agree. I'll start with their big claim, like their big, I don't know, splashy headline was that their food is as much as 70,000 cars on the road. I That actually number was not impressive to me. They're feeding 1 million students in their public school system. That doesn't include their hospitals. They have several hospitals that are you know funded, and it doesn't include the prisons. That's a lot of mouths to feed. Like, I I almost want to ask people, and I know we've talked about this, but like, what is an acceptable number? What is the amount of emissions it's okay to feed 1 million children and even more adults, children at hospitals and, you know, people in prison? What's okay? Yeah, it is a great question that I feel like no one can answer of what the acceptable amount of the industry that feeds people three times a day and then clothes and um, provides fuel as well. I get the mission behind it, you know, that they're wanting to... I think Bellasio actually said it before he did. He wanted to reduce it by 25% and he's now upping it to the 33% and changing it to the year 2030. But I'm confused about the action. Are they targeting, is it just within schools and hospitals again? And are they adding on the the plant powered Fridays? Like I didn't quite get, I felt like they had a lot of talk and they didn't really explain any of their action, which is not surprising, I guess. Yeah, because the New York public school systems are already meat-free on Mondays and Fridays. So I think this is just adding in more and, like, again, reaching those goals. But, yeah, this is – you're talking about that already two out of the five days a week for school kids, they are not getting meat. Mm -hmm. So one of my issues with this is I kind of think about it. Like, I feel like people that are very vegan, it's almost like a religion. And I'm just kind of like separation of church and state. Like, if – if this was like a religious thing and someone was like, oh, we need to be doing this, like we're like praying at school every single day, people would be like in an uproar. But like his religion, like veganism, essentially, that's kind of how I see it. He's imposing it on other people that don't agree. And I just am like, why is that allowed? Why is that okay for you to impose your dietary choices on an entire city? Yeah, this weekend on my stories, I called, I said he had like a vendetta against me. And I do feel like he's pushing his own personal agenda, which the article even said, they said this announcement represents a frank admission from a national political leader forcing Americans to eat differently in the name of climate change. And I just kept thinking, watching him, when did we as a society become experts on everything? 
you know, going back to my original thing where I was just tired of hearing some of the the statements they were saying in there. I felt like he was making claims as if he was a registered dietitian or had this overwhelming, you know, medical background about some of the health claims and the nutrition and even the environmental. I'm like, you're not an environmental scientist. Like, where was the scientist up there to support any of it or voice their opinions on any of it? And I just, I was listening to a micro podcast and he was talking about how certainty is the enemy. And I feel like that is Eric Adams, that he really truly believes that the vegan diet saved his life and that now everyone else needs to conform to that. And for, I mean, there's a laundry list of things we could add to why that's not appropriate, but like starting from the nutrition and going back to the kids, it's like the, the, the nutritional needs of a middle-aged man are going to be vastly different than youth, than maybe the elderly in the hospital. It just is faulty and saying that because it works well for you, it should be working well for everyone. Yeah, he wrote a cookbook. So it's kind of like just because you wrote a cookbook doesn't mean you're like an expert in being a registered dietitian. But one of the things I wanted to point out, and I don't want to get like lost in the weeds, but I think it's really important to mention. He one of the things he suggested was substituting seafood, specifically salmon, I think it was for Moroccan root vegetable tangent. Did you I think that's how you say it? I literally missed. I went ahead and I have no idea what you're okay. talking about. <laughs> I went ahead and did a little deep dive on the nutrition of this. This root vegetable, first of all, it's imported from Middle Eastern countries. So what about that carbon emissions? It has 400 calories. It has 70 carbs and it has 13 grams of protein and it has 13 grams of sugar. Let's look at salmon. Salmon has 400 calories, zero carbs, 40 grams of protein and zero sugars. How are you telling me those are like fair substitutes? And another one, has, he loves jackfruit. Jackfruit has 38 carbs, 150 calories, not even three grams of protein and has 31 grams of sugar. And I know like sugar is not like this isn't a fruit. It's not like added sugar. But I'm just like, how are those fair substitutions? Well, and I, I think was, a huge glaring thing you pointed out is neither are local to the, to New York. Yeah. I'm I'm about to get this is where I'm going to start getting heated so get ready but New York City bought almost a million dollars worth of Jamaican beef patties maybe source local beef mm-hmm. from the United States and you would lower, lower your carbon put, footprint by not importing their understanding of some of the basic things I feel like is just glaringly obvious to me I don't understand how no one else can see the issues or the concerns or the lack of evidence and scientific information. Yeah, the last point I want to make, which I think goes really great with that, is that there was another quote that said the American diet is 3% um, beef in the American diet is 3% of calories and uses half of our land. I don't, so we don't need more calories. We know that. So the fact that beef is a low-calorie, high-nutrient-dense food is actually a good thing. And the fact that it uses land, like we've talked about it, that Nebraska, the Santas, is one of the largest intact grasslands in the world. Using land is not a bad thing. And it almost goes to our conversation about factory farming. If you use less land, then you get called a factory farm. If you use more land, you get told that you're like taking up all the land for creating food. Like You can't win in this conversation. Well, and then you can't take land out of food production either. And so if you have land that's only viable for ruminant grazing, like we can't put crops on it, I don't understand how they think they're going to feed the people then. Just none of it makes sense to me. I will be interested to follow the pushback on this because in his speech, he even talked, he highlighted New York as a food mecca with hundreds of diverse restaurants, retailers, and food providers. And I thought it was interesting. Are they concerned about 
the eventual, I mean, if this stays within the school systems and the hospitals, are they eventually concerned that this will bleed over into controlling what they get to put on the menu? And I would think that a lot of those <laughs> restaurants, those retailers, those food providers all have meat in them. So I'll be interested to see with New York being such a high level Mecca. for food, um, what, you know, food experts and what their opinions are. And then also just in general, like if I read, as I always do, I scrolled down to the comment section of this YouTube video to see, you know, what people were saying about it. And it was, I would say, alarmingly anti against him. There was a lot of like Stalin comments about of like food dictation, um, talking about deflecting from New York's real problems, which I kind of, I guess that's the rabbit hole I went into is like what maybe they could address their homelessness. Maybe they could address their trash waste, their issues. I mean, there's some real issues going on in New York that I'm not sure like trying to force feed everyone a vegan diet should be high priority on the mayor's list. But based off the comment section, I'm like, I just don't think it's being received well from New York. I know I said that my last comment was my last comment, but the other thing I did want to say that I didn't was, do you remember the podcast we reviewed about protein and the guy in there mentioned about New York City's like meatless Fridays and Mondays and was saying, you're basically running an experiment on our kids of whether a vegan diet is or is not okay for children. And I would imagine there's got to be pushback, especially from like the registered dietitian community. Kids need nutrient-dense foods and meat like is that food. So to remove that, it you know, we're making our diets more like according to him more sustainable, but you're losing nutrients. Like the point of eating is to get nutrients and you're removing that from these kids diets. And as we know this hurts mo- like the most people that are hurt are going to be the low income families, the children that aren't maybe getting meat at home either and now they're not getting meat at school either. Yeah, one in three children in New York City are food insecure, and approximately one in 10 New York households experience food insecurity at some point between 2019 and 2021. Nina Teicholz, who I quote all the time, she actually, in reference to Mayor Adams' video, she said, we're balancing carbon on the backs of children. And I thought that (laughs) is a very bold statement, but there's like truth in it too. If you're watching this on YouTube, there's a lot of head nodding. I'm like, yes, yes, I agree. Yes. (laughs) I think if for me, I would sum it up by saying there's admiral intentions, as always, for anyone who is trying to decrease global, you know, footprints or greenhouse gas emissions. But I feel like it's horribly misguided in their solutions and they should go back to the drawing board. All right, moving into our second article. But before we do that, we want to remind everyone that as you are listening today, take a second to share this episode to your social channels um, and leave us a review. And if you do, you'll be entered for our end of month giveaway. Um, And I don't think we've actually shared this on the podcast yet, but you guys, we want to thank you for helping us hit number one on the U.S. food charts, the podcast charts. It was so exciting to see Discover Ag up there, obviously for personal reasons. But when we look at the other food podcasts out there, my soapboxes, I feel like they're always tied to chefs. And that bothers me. I'm like, where are the farmers and the ranchers and the producers who are so tied to our food system, you know, where is their seat at the table and where are their voices when it comes to the food podcasts and the food documentaries and all the food, you know, cookbooks and books out there. And so I was just really honored. Thank you guys for helping us get Discover Ag, which is a farmer-based, rancher-based podcast to the number one spot. So thank you. I don't think I've told you this yet, but I really want, I've been wanting to all weekend. Um, I got a personal message 
kind of review for our podcast. And it was a woman from San Francisco, nothing to do with agriculture. And she listens to our podcast. And her entire story was that she now goes in the grocery store and feels so much more confident about her food choices. She says she has saved money by not feeling the need to buy certain types of food to meet, meet some kind of agenda. And that she just overall, her confidence in her food buying for her family has increased. And it just like, it gave me chills reading it, hearing it. Like it was really powerful. And it's exactly what we wanted from this podcast is people knowing about their food and feeling good about whatever their food choice may be. Mm, that did give me goosebumps too. I hope she's listening. Hello. Happy shopping today with yes. peace, peace of mind. Um, all right. Our second article, new report reveals major flaws with flagship carpet credits scheme on indigenous land in Kenya. A new report released today by the Survival International exposes major flaws in a flagship carbon credit scheme whose customers have included Meta and Netflix. Dun, dun, dun. There's a lot of big names in this that there were is. thrown out there. This I do think intense. this goes. This was an intense article. Yeah, this is definitely um, a more one of our heavier ones, like in conversation, because it gets pretty. Um, they call out some people about it, and I think it kind of goes to what we've been saying about how you can't just buy carbon credits and then be like, "Surprise, I'm carbon neutral," like Netflix or Meta. Like, "Surprise, I'm carbon neutral." Yay me! Like, go me instead of actually making root changes and being better for the environment. So I think I want to give a little bit more background. I'm always worried that sometimes like our interludes don't give enough of the I know articles. I always jump right in. I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. So this was this particular one, this article, this um conservancy efforts issues, I guess maybe are was started in 2013. And basically what they're doing is they're designating certain areas as like protection areas. That this NRT, is it the Natural Range Trust? I didn't write it down. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So they are making the claims that by protecting these areas, that they, they get to store excess carbon in, the, um, in them by reducing the grazing pressure from the pastoralist herds. And then they are basically cashing those areas in for carbon credits that polluting companies, um, governments, or individuals can buy in the market to offset their own carbon emissions. So just like Tara said, basically then, or the headline said, Meta and Netflix can swoop in purchase the carbon credits from these areas in Kenya that have now been deemed protected and are, you know, cycling carbon, I guess, storing carbon. And they, they get to say that they're carbon neutral, which I know we've talked about carbon credits before, but I think this article and that explanation about it and giving it almost like a real sense of like a tangible thing to attach it to, like, here's actually the process. Here's where it's at. Here's the people who can no longer move their herds here. So here's who it's affecting. And here's the companies that are coming in and buying it, I think sheds a whole new light about this whole carbon credit situation. They're calling it blood carbon, carbon and it's about the fact that they're, these companies are making millions of dollars off of the people of Kenya, the ind indigenous people, upwards of 500 million. And I saw that was a pretty conservative estimate. So there's they're making real money off of this. The name is Northern Rangeland Trust. I think you said natural. So sorry, yep. one switch in there. The project relies on breaking down the indigenous people's longstanding tradition of grazing systems and replacing them with a centrally controlled system, more akin to commercial ranching. This though, one of the things that I wish they had gotten more into is that this could actually endanger the people's food security because then they cannot like migrate during drought. And so I'm just like, what are going to be the long-term ramifications of this project? 
Yeah. So there was a couple pro or cons, like you said, that were pulled out from this article. One is that the pastoralists have been grazing in sustainable ways for generations. So they actually are the experts. They know what they're doing. And by forcing this change on them, are you not only going to, you know, like you said, see effects um, from a nutrition, health, food standpoint, but also possibly from a environmental standpoint? They talked about how there's no evidence that any additional carbon is actually being stored. And past experience also shows that money made is not being returned to the communities, which is obviously a very big one. And then they also highlighted the misinformed consent that they the NRT didn't properly inform these communities of what would be going on. One of the quotes that got pulled out from it was um, a fellow from North Kenya, Emmanuel Rendell of the Rendell people said that these people have sold our air. And I feel like that is, um, again, it just puts a real realistic approach on what um, these companies do to claim to be carbon neutral so that people like us who are ordering from them feel good about our purchases, essentially. Yeah, this article goes into the human rights abuses um, and how it's not actually helping long term with climate change. They're just buying carbon neutrality and saying, they're carbon neutral. And it just I kind of had me questioning, like, how is this even legal? Like, in my mind, it's like you're taking land in the name of carbon neutrality. Like, that feels, I mean, I, I know, wrong. Like, it just feels very wrong. It also, they mentioned in here, uh, carbon leakage, which I feel like we've talked about that before, our old friend, carbon leakage, that like, you're just going to be putting carbon emissions off onto somebody else and not actually, like, Back to my first point, you're not actually making a change that is helping you be more sustainable. I do think it's worth mentioning that the Northern Rangeland Trust did come out with a statement. They have like a whole website combating this report saying like, but it, it felt, it didn't feel good to me when I read their their statement. It felt very PR-ish. Very. I actually couldn't get through it because it was so PR-ish. One of the ones linked to their frequently asked questions page. It, I mean, it was just, it was a pretty terrible response, which it is important to highlight that they are saying that some of the things in this article are, they claim not true or um, exaggerated, you know, whatever the claim is that the NRT is backing themselves and this project. I think for me, the big picture that I really like clung to or opened my eyes to maybe a little bit more is um, I already read the one quote about how they've sold our air, but there was another quote that was nature is being traded. Water now is being sold as is the forest, the air and the earth. And so it really highlighted this idea of owning land and almost like the commodification of nature. And I just think that's a really interesting point. You and I have already talked about on past episodes about, you know, our conspiracy theory that Bill Gates is doing some of the things he's doing for water ownership rights, that it's not unlogical that maybe other people are doing something given the droughts we are having and the necessity for water as a resource. You know, who owns that is it's going to be pretty powerful for them to own it. And Caroline even mentioned it on her podcast uh, this last week when she's talking about factory farming, about the patenting of meat and owning food. And I think that's what this is like bridging into is owning, you know, food security, essentially. It's like, pretty frightening. Yeah. It also, to me, felt a little ironic that this carbon neutral project is based off of grazing animals. That's where they're getting their carbon neutrality from. And yet, how many times do we see animal agriculture like demonized like in our last article it kind of led me down the rabbit hole of like I, and I hate to sound like a broken record but like these big companies why don't you just team up with 
a Nebraska cattle rancher and do a really cool project here in the United States. Make headlines at like how grazing animals are helping Meta and Netflix, you know, be more sustainable and like make it like a whole PR thing. And that's where it's like, this is about the dollars. So I think it's good that we're bringing awareness to consumers that who are seeing these labels that it's not really all it's cracked up to be. It doesn't actually mean Amazon has done anything to lessen their footprint. They're just buying it. And I think I think there needs to be more shown about the whole carbon credit offset than there is because I just don't think people understand it or the ramifications of it or the complications of it. I mean, on that note, I think we roll right into article number three. Let's do it. All right. I'm I'm excited about this one. Well, of course you are. It's dairy. I know. Dairy. I'm just making that your boat. <laughs> <It does. laughs> All right. Carbon neutral milk brand attracts celebrity investors and picks up raft of new retail accounts. While some plant-based and emerging animal-free dairy products have strong sustainability ties, most Americans still drink cow's milk. So trying to give consumers more environmentally friendly options within a category they are reluctant to give up seem like a pragmatic way to make a difference, says the co-founder of carbon neutral dairy company, Neutral Foods. All right. I'll do a better job of teeing us up this time. So essentially what they're doing is they've teamed up with some organic Oregon dairy farmers. The dairy farms, it sounds like most of them have their pasture base. So the cows are out grazing, um, which is obviously pretty common with organic. And then they have digesters on site as well. And the digesters produce carbon credits. And so this milk brand is buying the carbon credits from the dairy farmers and marketing their milk as carbon neutral. This I immediately think of when you said in the last episode, you're like, Amazon, why don't you team up with a local rancher in Nebraska? I feel like that's what this company did. They really honed in on the fact that a lot of the global footprint comes from on the farms. And so they wanted to work with U.S. farms to tackle that problem, essentially. Yeah. And they did my favorite thing is keeping carbon credits within the same food supply system. I think this actually makes sense. These dairy farmers are carbon neutral. The milk they sell is carbon neutral. So I think we should mention that this actually isn't a newer article, at least the one we're pulling and referencing for you guys. It piqued my interest, though, because I had never heard of this brand. And as well as I think it's super interesting that LeBron James and John Legend were two of the backing when it comes to funding for it. Um, Also, Mark Cuban. Oh, back to this as well. So um, you can buy this milk in grocery stores. It is available. It's available at Whole Foods, um, Sprouts. They just did a big deal with Sprouts. It's at Target. So I did look it up um, online, and it will cost you just $5.50 for a half gallon. So be ready to pay a big – which is actually – they did mention that is pretty standard for a premium organic company or organic milk, I mean. So it is like on par. It's not absolutely astronomical, but it is an expensive ask. Uh, I also liked that they actually acknowledge that most Americans drink milk. 93% of households have milk in their fridge. I actually have seen a higher number that's a little bit lower than I had seen. So it was not, um, they were not bashing conventional milk really either, which I appreciated. No, I think they're being realistic about the situation. They're recognizing, like they said, that consumers are going for this product. So instead of trying to redirect everyone to something else, it's like help fix the thing that people want. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. My big question actually was how much they've grown um, or like what has happened, I guess, because this article was released in 2022. So it's been about a year. And I'm just curious if they, and you probably don't know the answer to this, but I'm just 
wondering how much they've grown. Are they, you know, picking up steam? Is this going to like drop off? Like, what's this really look like from like a numbers and data standpoint, I guess? Yeah. So this is actually something I've always asked myself. So dairy as a whole has the goal to be carbon neutral or better by 2050. And Daniel and I actually went through the process of getting our dairy's carbon footprint. And I was proud of us. We were like below national average and we're just, you know, conventional dairy, not we don't have an anaerobic digester. But it has always raised the question for me that, yes, I think dairy will be carbon neutral by 2050. But what is the interim look like with companies like this or really anyone? I mean, anyone could do this. I'm surprised we haven't seen more products on the shelf of dairies being carbon neutral milk. And I think the long term goal is for us all to get there. But like capitalizing on that premium while people are wanting it and while not everyone's doing it. I think this is going to take off. I I honestly am shocked in 2023 we don't have more carbon neutral milks because I think it'd be fairly easy for companies to get there. And like, why not? Like, why not charge that premium for people who want to buy a carbon neutral milk? I don't know. Maybe that's kind of like capitalist of me. So my other question then for you is this one is basically kind of taking place in the state of Oregon, right? It hasn't really spread beyond Mm -hmm. that. Is it a, you know, we talked about like the pasture grazing, the organic part of it. Is that going to be feasible for this to continue to grow, Um, I guess, as its own little industry within the dairy industry? You know, like how easy is it going to be to replicate outside of the state of Oregon? Yeah. So, I mean, all organic dairies have to graze. So that's pretty like standard for organic. And um, there's other ways to be carbon neutral. Like I visited a dairy in Washington, um, Royal Family Farming, and they're carbon neutral and they're not pasture-based. They are like a CAFO and they do not have a digester. They actually have um, verticulture, so worms digest their uh, manure and their carbon. So yeah, I think this can be rolled out in a lot of different ways. I think the challenging thing is like California has tons of digesters on their dairies and digesters is just where it takes the manure and the barn water wash and basically turns it into renewable natural gas. And the problem is, is if you sell your carbon credits to someone else. So that's the entire issue is that you would have to find a company to team up with. They'd have to help you install these digesters. I did think it was interesting that these, they talk about how it was pasture based, but then have digesters. So it made me wonder how much they're actually sending through the digesters. Cause they talked about how one of the big positives of pasture based was the manure goes out on the field when the cows are grazing. But if the manure is going out on the field, it's not going through the digester. So right. that was one that I wish there was not answers and they didn't get into, but I kind of was like, well, how is that working exactly? I thought it was cool who they had a part of it, which I think, again, goes back to it makes sense to me why this company is doing this and why there's so much rationale behind it. I'm like, oh, finally, something that makes sense. But their head of carbon reduction is actually has a branching family background. Um, it's a NASA-funded climate scientist. And so that was really cool to see. And then they also, their chief science advisor was from Colorado State University. Um, and so I feel like they just have really good people on the team that like make sense with agriculture, understand ranching farming, and understand like the food industry, the food system and like everything that goes into it. Yeah. One of the other higher ups is a Harvard entrepreneur with a background in dairy, grew up on a dairy farm. So it makes a ton of sense, like why they got into this and they don't just have the digester. They have the feed additives, which we've talked about and crop management. So there's, they're doing a lot of different things to help get them to this goal. And they actually did say a quote that I thought we would both love that big is not bad. Small is not good. 
There's different ways for all sorts of dairies to get to this point and they want to see more and they want to go beyond just milk. They want to get into, I think, butter and yogurt, like lots of other new dairy products in this next year. So in 2023, they had heavy whipping cream, heavy cream, and they had butter too. They have butter. Yep. So yogurt. Yeah, you're right. Yogurt was the one that was going to roll out, I think, this year. They had whole milk, 2%, skim milk, like all of those already. So they've got like a few things in their like skew lineup. Yeah. If you are shopping at any of the places they are, you guys can look for that and pick it up if you want to. I know. I kind of want to look for it. Check it out. Look at the packaging a little closer. I was hoping Thrive would get it. I mean, that's the only way I'm going to be able to to be getting it, I imagine. (laughs) I think it'll be wild before I get rural Nebraska grocery stores. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We will see you guys next week.